Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to Exploring Missions, connecting mission needs with those equipped by God to meet those needs across the world or across town. And now the host of Exploring Missions, Bert Harper. There's no hymn. Don't hear it anymore, but I remember seeing it growing up. We've a story to tell to the nations. What a story about the Lord Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is beyond description. And so today we want to talk about the story, but also your story in the interview that you're going to hear. And you do want to stay tuned to hear this. You're going to hear about an individual that very unique, one of very few, honestly, and uh, you don't want to miss it. But I do want to say here on Exploring Missions with Bert Harper, Nathan Harper, that your story is unique as well. And the story that you tell, we're hopeful, it involves an intersection of your life with Jesus Christ, that there's been a time in your life when you weren't just baptized, you weren't just joining a church, you weren't just confirmed, but you had an encounter with the living God through Jesus Christ, and through that encounter, you surrendered your life to him, saying, I need you, O God. Jesus supplied everything that I need as he went to the cross, became sin, paid the penalty for sin, buried, rose again, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for me. Whether you know that or not, you need that. And uh, when you your life intersects his, Jesus Christ, and he comes into your life, you'll never be the same again. And Nathan, you have a story to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Each of us has a unique, like you said, a unique story that's special to us. We also have a common story. We all have the same story uh, about Jesus, you know, who Jesus is and, and what he has done and what he's wanting to do and going to do. But then how that plays out in each of our individual lives, how he's changed us specifically, becomes our story. So we have those two stories to tell, the story of Jesus and then our own story of what Jesus has done for us and in us. And and then we're basically in missions, you're inviting others to tell their story of how Jesus can change and will change their lives. And so really the gospel is a story. We can share the gospel by sharing our stories or, or testimonies. And It usually registers with somebody. Have you noticed oh, that yeah. somebody can have a unique testimony and Man, you'll have 12 people listening, and they'll be moved by it, and some will not. As you know, my wife, Jan, and I, your mom, we do retreats, conferences, family revivals. And in that, I, you know, I share the gospel. I share discipleship, I, you know, about issues. And Jan tells her story and interweaves biblical principles in it, mm. and yeah. I tell folks, you know, I'm there and I'm hoping everybody's listening and I'm watching up there. If I'm on the uh, podium listening and they're listening to Jan tell her story, there's those that really relate to it. And after it's over, there'll be people coming to her because her story really 
intersected their story. Yeah. And it really makes an opportunity for the gospel and discipleship. Yeah, it really does. Everybody loves a story. And so that's great because God has equipped each of us that are followers of Jesus with a couple of things that there's no barrier that can stand against it. No, the enemy cannot stop it. He's equipped you with a couple of things. One, the spirit of God within you. Amen. And then your own story. And that's how you can defeat the enemy. And that's how you can uh, start making disciples of people around you and is sharing your story. And we need to be bold in, in that and not fearful to share. But sometimes people, we are fearful to share our story, what God has done in our lives, because maybe we don't feel equipped in how, how to say it. You know, we kind of have a concept of what, what to say, but how do we share this with someone? So briefly, I, I would love to kind of do a little training on, on how to share your own story of Jesus' transformation in your life with, with someone else. And this is one of those that if you're listening and can write it down, it'll help. But if not, this is podcast. And you can go back and listen to different episodes of Exploring Missions. And this is one of those, if you're driving home or going somewhere, you'd like to improve your story and you don't get it all, you can go to the podcast and get yeah. it. Go ahead, Nathan. It's at AFR.net, by the way. Okay, yeah. Exploring Missions. AFR.net, Exploring Missions. So, real quickly, and it's, it's real simple. Some of you have heard this before, and some of you actually practice this. If you practice sharing your story with others, you need to find someone who doesn't and help them and, and teach them how to do it. But here's, here's one simple way. It's basically three parts, okay? Your story has three parts. Uh, the first part is your life. What was your life like before you met Jesus? Before Jesus transformed you, changed you, saved you, what was your life like? The second part is how or in what way did Jesus change you, save you? How did you meet Jesus? Was there a passage of scripture? Was there a a message that you heard? Was there an event that happened? Was it a simple prayer that God met you where you were? How did you meet Jesus? Third step or third part of your story is What's your life been since you met Jesus? How has he changed you? In what ways? What is it like now as you follow Jesus? And not sugarcoating that, not saying there's no struggles, but just being honest about where you are right now in your walk with the Lord. So those three parts, before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and since and after you've met Jesus. And so you could actually find this modeled for us in Scripture. Paul, and several times at the end of the book of Acts, has the opportunity to share his story with different groups of people. Acts 22, or actually starting in chapter 21 and then into chapter 22, he goes on and he follows the same kind of outline. He talks about how what his life was like before he met Jesus and how he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and how he would persecute Christians, those that were following Jesus. And then he talked about how he met Jesus, was what was on the road to Damascus, right, and that bright light that right. blinded him. And then Jesus met him where he was in that. Then he was baptized. And then he, after that, he moves on to the third part of his story about what, what he's been doing since then. And that's actually the part that got him into trouble. when he, he talked, If he had left it there, he wouldn't have been so <laughs> yeah. in jail um, so many times. And so I want you to know, we need to understand that sometimes the most powerful impact, the most powerful part of our story is that third part 
where, you know, on a daily basis, even today, what has God done in my life? How has Jesus changed my life? In fact, like, what is Jesus showing me today? You can you can share the gospel that way. You can just, you know, your daily times in the Bible, your your Bible reading, your quiet times. If God shows you something, God does show that to you for yourself, but it's not just for you. We're t- we're supposed to share that with others, whatever God's showing us and teaching us. And so it's not just for our own personal benefit. Your quiet time is, is for the world. And that's when you kind of can, it becomes not a quiet time, but a loud time, I guess. You can, yeah. you can spread that good news. So anyway, those three parts, before you met Jesus, how you met Jesus, and what's your life like since you met him. Everybody in their story, a lot of people say, well, mine is so plain. I have found out those that were saved early on in their life and stayed with God, can I share that's but kind become unique yeah. because you, you stay with God. For some, they rebelled and came back to the Lord. Some were wayward and never knew the Lord, and then they were saved. But your story that intersects Jesus Christ is yours, and it is to be shared. And you need to practice it a little bit. There are classes that uh, the ones that I've taken that has yeah. those three elements, what we did we broke off into groups of three, yeah. and we would share our story, and then the other persons would tell us what we heard, and they'd say, you know, you could spend more time on this, or I didn't understand what this is about, and them asking you those questions helped you to improve your story. Yeah. Now, it's all under the power of the Holy Spirit, and he, he can guide you, and I know that, and it doesn't need to become so routine that it's fake. Right. Leave that element of being personal yeah. in there, you know? Absolutely. At the same time, we, we do need to practice it so we can uh, our confidence will be, will be strong like it needs to be. And you could even practice, uh, like you said, get a group of people and each of you. And what you could do, you, you could take a minute for each of those three parts until you're, you can kind of summarize your own story in about a three-minute setting. You could even... Summarize it further where it's like 15 seconds, five seconds for each part. You can simply say something like this, fill in the blank. Before I met Jesus, my life was like, just say one or two things. But then I met Jesus, and now my life is like, fill in the blank, and then say, hey, would you like to see your life transformed by Jesus like mine was? If you're in a small group, Nathan, don't you like to get to know individuals in your group say you're in a group of 12 we're, we're making it biblical like jesus 12 apostles. okay yeah. okay have one of them to share their story each yeah. time you gather yeah. together and it blesses them it's also practicing it's encouraging it's challenging and so there's just a unique way to do this but it's the story that God has given you. Mm. And in the interview that you're going to hear, you're going to hear some that's, again, very, very unique. And I pray that God will bless you. It not only will encourage you to share your story, it's going to also encourage you maybe to do something with her story. Once you hear a story, most of the time there's a response to that. Absolutely. That's how we're motivated to uh, do something, to action is you hear the story, and then God puts that on your heart, and uh, you respond in obedience, and 
that's how the that's how the story continues to be written for each of us. What was that? An unending story? Yeah, that's right. An eternal story coming into Christ. And so I hope you will hear this. It was a privilege of mine. I felt like Nathan. I felt like I, uh, when I did this interview, I was privileged to be able to be there to talk to parents and the child. Amen. And we're praying that it will bless you, challenge you, and encourage you as you hear her story. We want to welcome our guests today to Exploring Missions. It's the Strage family, and we're so excited about having them with us again. We're in Nashville at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention, and uh, you may have heard their story. I'd heard their story, but I did not know that this was who it was. I just knew there was this family that had done something that is so important and still needs to be more of them today. And we want to to share their story today. And we're going to start out with the mom of this group. Her name is Marlene. And Marlene, tell us why I'm interviewing you. I, I think it's better from your point of view than me. Tell us a bit, a bit about Snowflake. Well, in 1997, my husband and I had been through infertility treatments, and we were unable to have a child. Uh, at that point in our treatment, the doctor suggested we use a donor egg, donor eggs with my husband's sperm to create a child. We were uncomfortable with that because that would mean creating a life outside the marriage bond. And at that time, I asked the physician, do you have any frozen embryos that we could adopt? He said, well, sure, but nobody's ever asked me that question before. Uh, but I wanted to know, what does God think about this? So we contacted several pastors in our church uh, that were Lutheran. And we also, I also contacted Dr. James Dobson. At that time, he was with Focus on the Family uh, because he's a child psychologist. And I wanted them to answer the question, what would God think about adopting frozen embryos? When Dr. Dobson amazingly called me back the next week, and he said he'd never been asked this question, and he had to get counsel. But all those people that we contacted had said, yes, if the original family is not going to go back for these frozen embryos, then yes, they need to be placed for adoption. So that set this whole thing in motion. These frozen embryos are from other people's infertility treatments. So they go through in vitro fertilization, or IVF. They have embryos created. They then take in those embryos, but then the remaining ones are frozen uh, for future transfers. But what happens is those families find that they may get pregnant the first time, uh, but they are unable to parent those additional children. So those embryos remain frozen. So those are the embryos that we're talking about. We weren't creating these embryos. They had already been created. And as we all know, those are human life. When egg and sperm comes together, that's a new human being uh, known to God with a soul. So that set this whole thing in motion. We then contacted a friend of ours who was executive director of Nightlight Christian Adoptions. This had never been done before. Up until that point, you could get donor embryos through your clinic, but you would never know anything about the child's beginnings. But we wanted to do this as an adoption, as it should be, because those are human beings. So we completed all the requirements for the state of California for adoption. We did a home study and everything that involves FBI background check, um, adoption education courses, social work visits to the home. And then we were matched with, through our adoption agency with a family that had remaining embryos. Once that paperwork was signed, 
And again, these, these frozen embryos, the legal status of them is property and not people. That's the legal status. So our adoption agency created a adoption agreement between us and the placing family, but using adoption terminology, using adoption best practices. Right. Once that three days was up that the, the family had to change their mind, because again, it's a transfer of property, those were our children. So wow. then my body was prepared to receive those embryos. So those embryos then were federal expressed to our clinic in Pasadena, California. Now my body was given, like I said, the progesterone and, gesterone, uh, progesterone and estrogen injections to receive those embryos. So we actually adopted 20 frozen embryos from one family. They're stored in straws, so they might thaw, and there's two in a straw. They see if they survive, and then they move on to another straw. Well, they had to thaw 12 embryos the first time to get three that survived. I transferred those. I didn't get pregnant. I went again the next month, and they had to thaw the remaining eight to get three more. Those were transferred, and I was pregnant with one, with my daughter, Hannah. So she was born on December 31st, 1998. And she was the first snowflake baby. And when Hannah's here today, I think she proves that it's not property, but it's people. Mm -hmm. Hannah, you're living proof. Amen. Amen. <laughs> it is so good to see you. I've heard about you and even read articles. And it is so good to meet you. So thank you for being with us. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Well, it, when I hear this, and I, I know of this, God uses infertility to bring about good. I, I could not help but think about Joseph. These brothers, you meant it for evil, but God had something else in mind so much better. And Hannah, you're that better. <laughs> but we not only have the mom and the daughter here, we have the dad here. Amen. John? Amen. Thank you uh, for having us. You were behind all this as well, right? Uh, I was there when she asked the doctor, can we adopt embryos? And we hadn't really discussed it at great length. I think she might have mentioned it, but didn't think any further. You mean a wife can kept, catch a husband off guard? Yes. It does happen? Yeah. yeah. Maybe every other day. <laughs> I think so. So after that meeting, um, we started discussing it, and we just, uh, you know, as the Bible says, walk by faith, not by sight. We had no idea where this was headed, and it headed to the start of the Snowflakes Embryo Adoption Program, where what's the number that now have been born? 700? There's been 710 babies born through this program. And, and let me tell you, it's a tremendous thing for a human being to go through a freeze and a thaw. So these are 710 miracle babies that have been born to adoptive families across the country. And it's, it's a truly uh, wonderful thing to be both the birth mom and the adoptive mom, because for us women who never thought we'd be able to carry a child and have, and have a baby, that we were able to experience everything of pregnancy and childbirth. That's a dream come true. And so the possibility of someone hearing this and being moved, it's still a possibility Absolutely. today? Absolutely. You can go to snowflakes.org and look up all the information, as well as I want to speak to those families who have remaining embryos, that you can place your children for adoption and you can be involved in the selection process and choosing the family that you want for your children to be the adoptive family uh, it's very much possible and we encourage that we testified before congress in 2001 
against embryonic stem cell research. You know, and that's one of the alternatives for these embryos that we don't want to have happen because these embryos are sacrificed for research. And um, I think my, better, my daughter better serves humanity as being a human being right here today than to be used as research fodder. Hannah, your dad wrote a book, The Snowflake Named Hannah, and I heard you wrote the forward to it. I did. Tell me a little bit about this experience from your point of view. I know you're thankful. I, I don't know what to ask except tell us a little bit about Hannah. Tell us about where you are, what you've done, and about the forward of the book. Of course. So the foreword is me answering a lot of common questions I get about my story and who my real parents are and just more about the logistics of the adoption that we get a lot when we talk to people. I'm a senior at Biola University in California and I'm hoping to be a social worker and I'm really excited to be a part of this movement and um, it's been a journey in just saving babies together and being on broadcasts and um, yeah, it's been a great ride. At what time in your age did you understand how special, and I don't want you to, I don't want to put that on you mm -hmm. too much, but how special you are, how did that grow in your mind? Yeah, so my parents were very creative in telling me how I was adopted as a frozen embryo, and I talk about that in the foreword as well. Um, my mom froze some seeds and put them in the freezer and said, this is like how you and your siblings were frozen, and then you were put into my tummy to grow. And so for a little girl, that's exactly what made sense at the time. And yeah. John, you took time to write a book. You told me you'd rather your wife to speak and you to write. Yes, sir. Tell us a little bit about what brought about the book, though. What drove you to write the book so well, people can hear about this and know about this? Uh, I'm a sports journalist by trade and had written six previous books. I was always looking for ideas to write books but it didn't really occur to me initially that, that you know I was going to write a book on this uh, until probably a couple years after the political issue surfaced with embryonic stem cell research and Hannah was born w within two months of when this, a scientist in Wisconsin discovered how to extract those stem cells from embryos which destroy the embryos and it was it occurred to us that this wasn't our plan. This looks like God's plan that he needed to put faces to, you know, what's at stake here if you right. destroy embryos. And then I didn't want to do it right away. I wanted to wait until Hannah was old enough to be able to contribute, which she is now, obviously. And that's sort of how it all came about. Sports journalist. Yes. And God could take that sports journalist and use him to write a book like this? Yeah. I mean, what a contrast, brother. It was. It, it was you know, I've said it was the easiest and the hardest book to write. The easiest from the standpoint of Mar Marlene kept meticulous notes on everything. Plus, we lived it. So I didn't have to do a great deal of research. But it was the hardest because it was so personal. You know, I'm used to writing about other people and not myself. I don't like to write about or talk about myself. Well, how can, how can people get a hold of the book? It can be ordered on Amazon.com and many other sites. Marlene, I want to get back to you, and I want you to share your heart with ladies and gentlemen who are wanting children and why it would be the thing that God possibly wants them. God needs to be involved in it. If God's not involved in it, there's right. going to be difficulty. But 
tell, encourage those people that say, if God's doing it, don't be afraid to take that step. So I always tell people, you know, you got to pray about this and see where God lead, is leading you. But if this is just, you know, sparking your curiosity, you know, maybe that's God nudging you to, to look at this website, snowflakes.org. And, you know, the possibility that you can carry and give birth to your adopted child is, is a dream come true. It truly is. And it's not just with me, because when I talk to snowflake moms across the country, we're pretty... How many of them are there? There's, well, there's 710 babies, and okay. so some of those are twins and triplets, but I've spoken to... <laughs> really? Yeah. And, okay. and And I've spoken to many, many of those snowflake moms, and that's the one thing that resonates with us as women, is that we could carry and give birth to our own child. It was just our own adoptive child. That was just such a dream come true. So really pray about it and see where God is leading you in this, um, as well as those couples that have remaining embryos. And this might just be burdening your heart that you know that those are your children that you have to pay your yearly storage fee for to keep them frozen. And you don't like the options that are presented to you. You don't want the idea of just donating them to a doctor and then not knowing whatever happens to them. Or you don't want to donate them to research. But you can participate actively in placing those children and then have an open adoption um, as we do with our placing family. So Mm -hmm. Hannah has been to Disneyland with her genetic siblings. They're on social media together. We love that family. And so I just want to encourage both sides to, to really think about this. And I also want to encourage those people to really think about when you're going through Um, some of the assisted reproductive technologies. I think the question you have to ask yourself always, is this in the best interest of a child? Is it in the best interest of a child to create a child using donor egg, donor sperm, or is that in your best interest because you want a child? Um, That is fraught with a lot of uh, difficulties down the road, which we're seeing now from kids that have been conceived in that manner. I think first and foremost, you need to think about is this God honoring? Right. Does it go outside the marriage bond to create a life? You know, we didn't go outside the marriage bond to create a life. She was already created. We adopted her, and those embryos were our children. It became a mission for you, did it? Not? It was. It, it's, it's an mission. ongoing mission. Yeah. It truly. Well, this is, is exploring missions, and <laughs> right. I, I just picked that up. And you're on mission to share it with others as we well. Are the on book a does. As my family will say, I will talk to anybody on the street <laughs> about yeah. this topic. And really, when I talk to people, they're just, they're just amazed. They had, I have no idea that this is even possible. Yeah. Well, Hannah, I want you to have the last word, if you don't mind. Express your thoughts to these two people for having the vision, the courage to say, we're going to do something that nobody else had done. How, how does that make you feel? Extremely blessed beyond measure to be given this opportunity to share the gospel and also save babies and so proud of my parents for answering the call and where we are today and um, my parents have been pioneers for this whole program and many 710 babies have been born since because of them and we're so grateful for both of these people. I'm looking at three heroes and uh, <laughs> excuse me, I moved that God would raise you up for such a time as this. And I want to encourage those who are listening, listen to God, obey God, and step out and do what God says. Thank you guys for being here. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Exploring Missions, and may God use you to complete His mission in you. Thank you.